0: You know relational coaching is I'm interested in you as a human first right so I'm not I'm less interested in your performance I'm more interested in you as a human being so inherent in that is I'm more interested in your health I'm more interested in your well-being I'm more interested in your relationship with your family you know I'm more interested in your capacity to live a healthy happy life than I am whether you run three hours and 59 minutes for a marathon.
1: If you know running podcasts, today's guest is more normally the other side of the mic and you've probably already recognized his voice.
0: Um, my, My goal in coaching is to make myself redundant, which is contrary to what a lot of coaching mindsets might be when I say redundant I I don't kind of mean an employment point of view although that often that can happen but often actually what happens is the complete reverse of that
2: this week was fantastic fun our guest was awesome but being such an experienced hand maybe he was determined not to make it quite so easy for Ed and I you
0: know this conversation should be fun for you it should be
2: fun for me it should be
0: fun for people listening like And if we all did a tiny bit of that, you know, our world would be, it would be such a a healthy place to, to live in.
1: Nonetheless, this episode is absolutely packed with leadership and coaching, insight and gold dust that our guest has gathered from honing his craft over many years.
0: I'm much more inclined towards independence rather than... Dependence, I think you—it's risky, you know. And in in any organization or any um, <laughs> any any um, when you're working with with anyone, establishing dependence is full of risk. You know, it's full of danger. Like it's controlling and can be perceived to be manipulative. Whereas actually establishing independence means that someone genuinely has you know a capacity to know themselves and do their own thing and that you as a coach are not bothered <laughs>
2: Our guest has amassed an incredible running CV. He now runs a charity that he founded focused on mental health in young people and he does all of this and has always done it with tremendous humanity, humility and a pretty big sense of mischief. This week's guest is Martin Yelling. Yeah great I'm Martin Yelling. Uh, Do you want anything else?
1: Yes, please. <laughs> uh,
0: what would you like? I uh, run, cycle, swim. I used to host a podcast, now I run a charity. I've spent the last 25 years working in running, endurance sport, coaching, teaching, um, behavior change from grassroots, I guess, right up to to Olympic World Championships level. Oh,
1: Yeah. Uh, you're married. Got kids?
0: Married. Yep. My wife's currently at the World Road Running Championships. She's the Team um, GB uh, team manager, so she's taken out a group of um, athletes to Latvia to Riga, um, mm. where I think today they're doing a course um, course inspection before running one mile, five k on Saturday, and then I think the half marathon is on. Is on Sunday. So yeah, she is there. Um I'm at home alone with the three kids, which always goes well. (laughs) Um I have two boys, twin boys who are nine, and a fourteen-year-old um daughter who is (laughs) fourteen.
1: Yes. (laughs) With her being fourteen. Yes. Um Enough said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Martin, what makes you come alive?
0: Oh, that's a banging like entry question, that, not it? Yeah, like that's a like the second that Ed, that's the second thing you've said. And um, just before we started recording, you said to me, Don't worry if I interrupt you sometimes. Well, that is a banging interruption, isn't it? <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what makes you come alive? But, I'm going uh, to interrupt I I need you. to work I'm going,
1: on my segues. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, I'm going to interrupt you with an absolute stinger. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I think many, like many things, but given the nature of, of you know, your show, I, I think what really brings me to life, to frame it slightly differently, like brings me to life, is moving. And, and it always has done, moving in, in lots of different capacities. Um, mainly now, it's moving, like in nature, Outside in big open spaces, that might be swimming in the sea, walking up a mountain, running along the coast path. Um, but you know, there's been that. That may, like this morning I went for a bike ride and you know, I did 30 miles out in the Purbecks, and you know, I have moments where I'm, I feel like I'm gliding down hills and working up them, and um, you know, that's when you, that's when I feel most alive. You know, when I'm in spaces like that in an environment like that in a headspace like that that makes me that brings me to life makes me feel most alive yeah when I'm moving active outside Mm. uh yeah Mm. really enjoying um really enjoying that that activity
1: I feel I feel alive just listening to you describe it martin like you you did such a good job of like putting us in that moment of gliding down and working up hills yeah
0: to be honest ed you
1: look like you need it you're in the cupboard you
0: look like you're in a (laughs) cupboard so i've just been i've just been for a bike ride and ed's having a near death experience (laughs) in a in a a cupboard
2: he's he's gonna hold it together (laughs) i'm confident martin what, what do you know what it is about motion what does motion mean to you and the combination of motion and nature do you know what it really means to you do you know why it has this effect on you um
0: i i like i also like being still you know outside too so you know mm. sometimes you know i might be walking along the, uh, the cliff path near where i live and and you know you can just pause and look around and this terrific sense of wonder often i like to see horizons Mm. or you know sky big, big open spaces are, are an important part of that but mostly it is the feeling of moving so mm. what when i'm moving i'm running or walking or cycling or swimming which for me are the things that i probably spend most time doing um you know i play play other team games as as well but not so much and they don't give me the same you know there i get different things social connection humor you know but when i'm out on my own which mostly i am 95% of my time i'm out on my own it's a sense of you know i guess escapism and mm. freedom and um self reliance mm. you know independence um like kind of i guess old stoic notion of body as machine and you know i like that mm. uh, i like that that notion of being um, you know, exercising because your body is a is competent to do these things mm-hmm. and move in this way so it doesn't I don't have to be fit or fast to do that mm-hmm. I'm nearly 52 so you know things aren't what they used to be <laughs> uh, but it, but at least you can you know I can still go out and enjoy those yeah. things and when you've been you know when you when you've spent as I have 40 years understanding more than that you know what you need from moving being active running cycling swimming whatever else that might be Mm. mounting walking um you kind of you know how to bring yourself to life Mm. you know you know how to tap into it and you know you know when to do it and how to do it
2: lovely yeah it's coded in
1: you mentioned 40 years and particularly 40 years of running uh, you know, yeah. obviously you've been a professional runner in that time you're you know, still running for pleasure um what has what has that looked like in the different different stages of life for you
0: um i was i think i was a um like a bit of a half baked decent runner so i, I was not Look, I'm surrounded by fast women. (laughs) Like I've always spent my, I've spent my life (laughs) surrounded by fast women. Um, My wife is, uh, went to the Olympics twice Mm. and next, you know, this year in November, we've been together for 30 years, you know? So um, we've grown a lot of our running together as well as our relationships together. And, And my sister was a European champion over um at at cross country and ran like 31 minute 10k and she won the european champs a couple of times so you know i think her and and my wife between them have won the national cross country something like 10 times (laughs) you know my my best was ninth in the national right so you know i I just scrape into the top 10 but my sister and my wife are winning it back to back every year (laughs) Mm. um so you know I was an all right. I was an all right athlete, an all right runner, an all right um, duathlete and multi-sport athlete. I won the elite duathlon mm. national championships a couple of times, mm. like what seems like a forever ago, in the early two thousands. And I went to Hawaii, Ironman, and comrades finisher, and all all that kind of stuff. And I think one thing I've learned is that, like, I was chasing seconds in my twenties just seconds, mm. you know, seconds over cross-country races or half a second a lap over 1,500 metres in a, mm. you know, to try and qualify for a 3A's final or, you know, whereas now, um, in, in my 30s, I was kind of chasing distance, so I got longer. Lots of people mm. follow this competitive mm. storyline too. They get older and they get slower, so they go longer, mm. um, you know, and, and and then move to... Um, you know, once I hit my 40s, actually, and we, we had our children, I really shifted and reframed what I do from running and cycling and swimming. And and now it's all about enjoying it and mm. competing against myself. I still, you know, try and get valuable seconds in, but I get mm. beat by nine-year-olds <laughs> over 5K at Park Run. So, you know, I've got you, – you've got to just keep any old-fashioned ego that you used to have mm. tucked away somewhere in your back pocket and – um you know not worry about that all the competition um you you know can be internalized and 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 left kind of left on the left on the roads or in the water or you know yeah. out on the out on the streets on
2: the bike Martin when we talked to you before um and you you shared a little bit of this um it got us wondering about whether you still love seeing just an out and out awesome performance and take joy in an amazing performance i think budapest had just happened you talked about riga coming up do you still so your relation your frame has changed and your relationship with running and things has changed do you still look and get joy from a oh, that's just an out and out amazing performance well, when
0: i'm watching something
2: yeah well sometimes
0: so i think in essence i'm a little bit of a purist you know when i first started running i used to look at these old boys you know, and I think, look at um, them—they've got dribbled down the jumper, right? <laughs> shuffling, they're shuffling along. Um, they're stopping, like and eating, and they've got a flask. Like what? And of course, all that is now me.
2: Um, maybe Just for, that, for anybody, you know, but Martin's jumper is entirely clean as we look at him right now. He's cleaning himself right up for our podcast. You, you can't, you can't see down here. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I now. Um, yeah, go running and often stop and often have a flask. Um, so do I still watch athletics or cycling and you know enjoy the spectacle of competition? Yes, is there, yeah, sometimes, you know, a little tainting of skepticism uh yes you know mm. brutally mm. there there is actually sometimes you know i want to mm. like i want to assume a kind of purist mm. approach and believe everything i see but sometimes history tells us that it's not always what you what you what you think mm. yeah and can I just go back? I love watching a good burn up, you know. Yeah. Like, but I think, <laughs> like, you don't have to run a world record to do that, do you? So, yeah. You know, you love what I love watching a get good game. I love putting myself in an arena where I can take a proper kicking or give one out <laughs> to a nine-year-old. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but like, you know, like putting yourself in that arena as an older man, right? Yeah. In my case. Yeah. it it tests lots of other, you know, lots of other parts of your personality Mm. that perhaps when you were competitive as a younger man, you weren't so comfortable at being able to deal Mm. with, you know, so I'm much more competent at regulating my competitive emotion Mm. than I was, you know, 25, 30 years ago. I don't get frustrated um I don't get disappointed I can see an experience for what it is and I can draw different things out of it you know I don't I I used to go into a competition and you know I've had the hint of a cold I'd eat onion sandwiches for a week you know I'd be dosing (laughs) back vitamin C and whereas now I think well I've just got a bit of a cold you know I I either won't do it or I'll do it differently you know or if it doesn't go slightly well and you've you know, I used to be, feel rubbish and be cross with myself and overanalyze every stride. Mm-hmm. And now I think, oh well, oh,
2: well, you know, it's okay. What would you say? Um, so I look at, the, look at it all a little bit differently. And what would you say to your younger self? If you, if you could go back and offer one bit of advice or encouragement, what would you say? So I think
0: I would have liked to have, like, I, I would have actually trained a little bit harder. I'd have turned up the heat slightly differently at different times. You know, I can remember first meeting my wife and for about the first year of meeting her, I just had to chase her around the whole time. Just felt like I was chasing her all the time because she was forever training and forever running. I'm like, you're going running again. She's She's like, yeah, I train twice a day. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why are you out doing that? Um, And I think I would train harder, but I would also instill a more disciplined, um, holistic approach. Mm. So that doesn't mean, you know, I was like nailing alcohol uh, or anything like that when I was training. But, you know, I'd have trained harder and been been more disciplined for given amounts of time. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's that that I think is what I'd have done whilst at the same time, probably just focusing more on process mm. of participation mm. than I would on, on the outcome. Mm. So very, mm. we, I started talking a lot a few years ago, we had this little saying, we printed it on marathon talk t-shirts, probably about 10 years ago called trust the process.
2: Mm.
0: And, um, It really wasn't in vogue at that time (laughs) to be process-orientated. People were very performance-orientated, you know, like watch any film in the 1990s with, like, high shoulders and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of Tom Cruise. I can't remember the name of the film in that. Where is he, he, a sports agent?
2: Oh, Jerry Maguire. What's that film?
0: Jeremy Maguire, yeah. And it's, like, all of it push-push, hard, you know and you don't focus on the moment you're in you don't focus on the process and the how and and you focus so much on the a, a, a outcome and and then when you don't hit it for whatever reason or even if you do you know you're still you're disappointed or you beat yourself up about it whereas if you focus on process and you're really diligent around that outcomes usually come um with a little bit less aggro along <laughs> the way. So, yeah, I would I would say focus on process more.
1: So you, um, that, you know, that's what you'd advise yourself. Uh, you're also a coach. You're um, coaching others. Uh, how do you make sure that um, they, they, that you're passing, I suppose, passing on what you've learned or that they take the kind of value out of the approach? That you have. What's what's your your approach to coaching? I do coach.
0: I coach a lot less than I used to. So mm. I coach at different levels. I I coach lots of people in quite a generic way. So I'm still uh, like for about the last ten years, I've been the, the official London Marathon coach. Mm. So that might see me write programs for fifty thousand people, and I have to do it in a very generic way. Mm. Um, I work with teams, so I might work with some charity teams or some corporate teams um, or some like celeb type teams. Um, or I work at an individual level and I work only at a small, very, very f- small number of people um, doing that. And that's probably what I enjoy the most. And I think the reason I enjoy that the most is because my philosophy around coaching is quite relational. Mm. So it's a a, you know a person-centered approach often people come to me for coaching and think they want to go faster or think they want certain things in their running or triathlon whereas in fact they their lives are wrapped up in so much complexity um you know, the the training might be an outlet, or the training might be avoidance, or the training it can be for all sorts of reasons. And when you get to know somebody well in coaching, you can um, you're you're able to do several things. You're you're able to set their training according to what they need, which mm. is very different to according to what you think they should do. Mm. It's a really <laughs> important distinction. So lots of people will write a program. Co- coaches in inverted commas. Um, my daughter told me that only old people do that. You know that. What's that called <laughs> when you do that with your fingers?
2: Like I when you know, do I'm the inverted I'm commas too, I'm with your I'm fingers. Too young to know, Martin. Air,
0: air, air quotes. Yeah,
2: <laughs> like yeah that yeah. like
0: air quotes. Yeah, she's like only oh, you know, old old people do air quotes. Um, so you know when you coach somebody. When I coach someone, I want to coach them to what they need rather than what I should tell them mm-hmm. to do, they need to do. So fundamentally, I'm not a telling coach or a pushing mm-hmm. coach. I'm an open coach that provides scaffolding for people to find out. Help. I help people find out what works best for them and then we deploy that we execute that in in their own training we're constantly reviewing that as an approach mm. so we work together so that um you know they can achieve the outcomes that that they want so um i will try and understand what they are try and understand them as a person and then yeah. collectively collaboratively build build a, an approach to whatever they're doing that mm. that works for them giving them what they need to get from their training whilst also meeting, you know, their kind of personal personal goals. Ed, it looks like it's steaming up. So we're on camera. We're, I, well, I can see Gary and Ed and, yeah. and they can see me. And I realise this is audio, but just for effect, Ed's little pod that he's now in, it's
1: gone very steamy. Are you all right, Ed?
2: It, it does look warm in there, mate. You okay?
1: It is, it is actually quite warm. So, uh, not... It's not just because I'm starstruck talking to you, Martin. It's just,
0: just taking his sweater off. Things are
1: going downhill. <laughs> Thank goodness we don't release this on video. Um,
2: Martin, can I Because can I, can I, So you talked about the relational approach there. Yes. And there'll be people listening to this who are not necessarily coaches, but maybe they're a manager in a business or um, they've got colleagues. And I'm just curious about how you negotiate or almost get permission to take that type of approach with people who maybe come with an assumption that this is how we're going to do we're going to do this a different way you're going to write me a plan you're going to be how do you get yeah people
0: sometimes people want time and trust is probably the answer Mm. to that to that Mm. um um you know relational coaching is i'm interested in you as a human first Mm. right so i'm not i'm less interested in your performance I'm more interested in you as a human being. So, inherent in that is, I'm more interested in your health. I'm more interested in your well being. I'm more mm. interested in your relationship with your family. You know, I'm more interested in your capacity to live a healthy, happy life than mm. I am whether you run three hours and 59 minutes for a marathon. Now, I hope those two things can be compatible, right? But they're not, they're often not. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can. Um, so, you know, part of being a good relational coach is that you're not necessarily the expert in that person's life. They are. Mm. It, it, you know, When they're the expert, your role is to draw out from them how you can best integrate the training that they want to do into the life that they have. Mm. So in order to build a positive, healthy, relational connection with someone else, particularly if it's remote, you know, I don't go in the house and, you know, watch box sets of modern family together <laughs> you know often it's like it, it it takes time and and simple conversation and genuinely openly listening mm. to them mm. and hearing them so they're two different things right some if i'm trying to hear someone and really hear them then I'll really listen, and then I'll respond in what I say and what their plan looks like. I don't just mm-hmm. give them a plan, you know? So mm-hmm. there might be a set of expectations around coaching that a coach tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. They're didactic in their approach. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they give you a set of instructions, and you follow them, mm-hmm. right? And you achieve your success. Okay, well, I just don't subscribe to that particularly with um you know when you're doing one to one type coaching mm. it's more important that a person um you know leads a, a i think a happy and healthy life which is effectively what most people want mm. from their most people want from their coaching mm. they just don't know it when they first come they think they want to run <laughs> a few seconds quicker for a marathon or whatever mm. um but eventually we get there so time patience trust and all the qualities that you would put into establishing a healthy, happy relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that um, that they, because, you know, that's, that does take time. It's, it's going to be very relational. And maybe the answer is in the question, really. But what, uh, how do you make sure that they don't end up as being dependent on you as the coach?
0: Well, that's a great question, um, because my goal is, in fact, to. Um, to to not do that at all um my my goal in coaching is to make myself redundant Mm -hmm. which is contrary to what a lot of coaching mindsets might be when i say redundant i I don't kind of mean an employment point of view although that often that can happen Mm -hmm. but often actually what happens is the complete reverse of that so instead of having a ch- high churn of people I work with, I have longevity mm. and sustainability mm. with people I work with because we establish meaningful coaching relationships mm. over time. Mm. You know, um, sometimes it's short term because they might have a specific goal in mind, and I'm cool with that too. Mm. Mm. Um, but my role really is to give give enough confidence, enough capacity, enough knowledge that someone no longer requires the requires a coach and i become more of a mentor or a sounding board Mm. you know they kind of people will talk to me about the decisions they're making about their training and what they need from me is something very different to on monday do this on tuesday do this on wednesday do this
1: Mm.
0: you know they want powerful reflection Mm. on on um an output from a session or just how they're feeling or they want to know um you know is this the right thing for me to be doing how do I choose a goal what happened at that session so yeah I'm much more inclined towards independence rather than dependence I think you you it's risky you know and in, in any organization or any um <laughs> any any um when you're working with with anyone, establishing dependence is full of risk. You know, it's Mm. full of danger, like it's controlling Mm. and can be perceived to be manipulative. Whereas actually establishing independence means that someone genuinely has you know a capacity to know themselves and do their own thing, and that you as a coach are not bothered mm. <laughs> you know it's like mm. hey this is this is your journey it's not my journey mm. um so yeah i'm I'm a huge fan of coaching for independence, not dependence mm.
2: Are we hearing in some of this as well a a bit of your sort of underpinning philosophy as a leader as well because you founded a charity um yeah and you're the CEO of that charity but i imagine you do that in a way which is authentic to you actually first of all tell us about stormbreak the charity i'll well, try a bit I, I do try a bit yeah <laughs> tell tell us about stormbreak um, and then and then and then tell us what it looks like to try to be authentic yourself as you lead it martin
0: we don't always get the, we don't always get these things right do we you, you know i think that's really important like we we make lots of mistakes i make lots of mistakes uh, i'm not afraid of making a mistake i'm not afraid of sharing the fact i've made a mistake mm. i'm not afraid of of pointing out you know in fact in fact my wife often says to me i don't have empathy <laughs> oops um but i think i'm just too open sometimes and some people can be really upset around what they perceive to be criticism. So because I can, I can hear that and I think, Oh, okay. Um, I I must realize sometimes that, that my straightness with feedback is received really differently. Mm -hmm. And and that's something I'm still, I'm still working on just because someone can tell me that something might be below par. (laughs) They don't, you know, like, yeah. Um, so what did you say again well what was it again? oh Stormbreak you asked me about Stormbreak if you want to throw
2: a bit in on Stormbreak as well that would be great but uh, there's 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 so much in what you've just said as well but do tell us about Stormbreak and then I would love to come back to how you lead it and what that's like that was it so a part of the
0: journey for me was taking um physical activity and movement and putting it into an approach where we coach that to children at an early age as an intervention uh, focused on, on prevention of longer term mental and physical health challenges. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I saw lots of great examples of practice that sort of did it, but nothing that really did it in a very direct way and said, why should we wait until we're adults, you know, grown-ups to have learned skills that help us recognize our emotions, help us regulate our emotions? Why should we wait? You know, we still don't always get that right as adults, but most, you know, some of us, some of the time do. So I wanted to set something up um, with, with Stormbreak that, you know, really taught children early um, that they could use moving to support emotional well-being and their physical health. So we built this approach with CAMS children and adolescent mental health practitioners and teachers and sports coaches and and now we've been going almost five years. It's it's quite tough. It's been been very tough. Um, and certainly through through COVID, it was a challenge. Um, but we're now. Sub- We've we've supported over 40,000 children with who have delivered. We've delivered over 650,000 storm breaks. A storm break oh, yeah. is a little period of kind of five to 15 minutes of mentally healthy movement. Mm, so yeah. specific movement to support that young person. In, in our case, it's age four to 11, to support their mental health and well-being and to teach them skills that will help them specifically to Um, recognize their emotions to to respond to them and a Mm. response to a response to an emotion in a child is it's not always it's not always positive or what you would expect as an adult but nonetheless you have to see that as an expression of that child and what they're feeling so for example it it might be that the, the child experiences a an emotion, and their expression of that is, is one of anger they'll throw something or they'll you know they'll lash out or they they'll be, they'll be cross, it might be one of fear and withdrawal they'll hide under the table they'll go quiet, mm-hmm. they won't speak at all they'll withdraw to themselves and you know that ex- that is an expression that needs to be listened to by adults around them, and that will help the children to regulate. That emotion and movement is such a powerful tool to do that. If we reflect back to what I spoke about at the start, that's why I go running on the coast path. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why people go for a walk, why they might go for a swim at the end of the day. They love the the feeling of exercise, but it also gives them that mental reset. And we learn so many powerful um, s- regulatory skills through exercise and through movement. So, you know, I wanted to build something that actually did that in, in children and gave them a tool that, that, that they could use um, throughout the rest of their, you know, the rest of their life. So that's what we do at, at Stormbreak in education and in um, social care and in healthcare settings. We're just starting to work with more NH, within more NHS settings. Um, we've got a significant sort of digital platform. Um, where we have pathways for things like early emerging um, anxiety um, autism neurodiversity uh, attention and focus and and particularly around children on wait lists for things like that movement is such a powerful way to help them manage and cope just day to day but also you know longer longer term in in their lives so that's a bit of potted history about uh, about Stormbreak, and and to your original question gary does has that helped me be a leader? I think so, because I have to do things differently. Mm. You know, I, I never, we don't have a particularly hierarchical organization. I think when you're training for something and you're quite independent, you, you know, you have a control over yourself um, and and the things around you or a certain element of, of and there's a risk, and, and, and I do this sometimes. I try not to do it, but there's a risk that, you can kind of micro control everything in a, in an organization when you're that way inclined. I try not to do that, even though I have some perfectionist tendencies, um, it can be quite a challenge to do that. One of the ways to, I tried not to do that is, you know, to empower other people, um, to do things, um, and not me, which means that I have, I take a bit more of a backseat, um, I tend to do the things now in Stormbreak that other people don't want to do, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. which, which, which means that, you know, it's hard, but the i I've got a great team and they're out there doing the delivery part, which is the bit I, I like to do, but I've got a great team that do that. Um, you know, they work in schools and with foster carers and, and with social workers and with, with mental health practitioners. So, um, I tend to, um, clean the toilets. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well I've, very, i mean first of all there are many uh, examples in history aren't there of that kind of servant leadership and uh, we don't need to sort of recover that but i just wanted to t- touch on that and say that's an amazing thing to say because i know you sort of said it with a mm. with your tongue in your cheek but leaders who are prepared to do that um are in my experience are very inspirational effective leaders um but I just wanted to dig into this a little bit more in the light of what you said about coaching, because you touched on that then about that risk of cultivating dependence, <laughs> um, and your coaching wanting to be all about independence. Um, and you lighted on that there as the leader uh, of your own charity. Now you're the you're the CEO. There must be moments where you have to take the lead. Um, but how do you, uh, practically what does that look like for you in terms of you know Cultivating independence and and staying away from that kind of risk that dependence comes with, or that temptation to control.
0: So day to day, you know, we 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 don't have a. a I don't think people need to ask to do things. They should kind of kind of just just do them. Um, mm. There's a balance then, though, isn't there, between what's the outcome of that uh yeah are we still getting stuff done are we doing the delivery to the best of our capacity yeah are we supporting the children in the best way possible and and their families what happens if we do you know it doesn't go well for us or it doesn't go well for some of the delivery how do we reflect on that and um, Mm. what do we do so i think so sometimes i'm I'd like to think I'm a fan of walking the talk. So, you know, like when you say something, you do it. Um, I like commitment to things. So I like it when people say, this is what I'm gonna do and then they do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I like it when people have initiative to do things. I like to encourage initiative. Um, even if it doesn't work out quite as you planned, I would much rather that you try to do something It doesn't go quite as well, and then mm. you can have another go at something, assuming that when you have another go, you learn from the, the go you did last mm. time. You don't just repeat the same thing. Yeah. Um, that said, yeah. I think, I don't know, the, the team might have something completely different to say. Um, I know there is a risk <laughs> sometimes that you can be... a perceived to be controlling you know I also like things the way I like things and there's a bit of slippage with that sometimes into into work um, which cannot be healthy um, my mm-hmm. way is not necessarily the, the right way I think I'm reasonably open to like understanding that definitely in my coaching that you know that's the way other people sure. they, they know their bodies more than anybody else you know, the question you get in coaching a lot, should I rest today? Well, I don't know. You're in the driving seat of your body. <laughs> yeah. You know, how how do you feel? What's telling you that you think you should rest today? So, um, yeah, encouraging independence and, and doing things the right way um, is really important to me,
2: yeah. And if... It, it, I work with a lot of people who are interested in taking a more coaching and relational approach to their work, particularly if they're a leader. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um, And it sounds like that when you're at your best, you you can do that. What one thing would you offer our listeners if they are interested in leading, as Ed talked about, in that more... Highly relational, more servant-oriented, more coaching way, very empowering, engaging. What one thing would you offer them to help them do it more?
0: (laughs) What would I offer them as as, as a piece of guidance?
2: Well, you mean? See, we're, so, we're in the space of we're in the space of, of coaching and enabling people. So I, can't, I didn't want to ask you to give them advice because you've got to tame your advice yeah, monster. I well, that's you, what I'm trying to read. So yeah, I I'm, I'm, laying out a trap, Martin. No, am not really. I'm just <laughs> I'm just curious to know how how you know. But sometimes you kind of got to give the people what they want. As someone once told me, if you could give them advice, then or you could say your experience or or, or offer them some encouragement, maybe. Mm. What, what would you say? The people who feel a bit stuck in like I feel like I have to drive performance, I feel like I have yeah. to give I, I issue think, the order. I know there's a better way. Yeah, come come back to some come back to some
0: fundamentals. You know, come back to some fundamentals of um your 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 people skills. You know, come come right strip it back to some basics of um you know patience. Often leaders patience can be tested right and they find themselves squirming Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. so particularly with other people you you have to be patient you have to be patient with people Mm -hmm. and that requires your own self-discipline and tolerance and 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 exercising discipline in a different way so you know if i'm pushing myself my discipline looks very different if I'm trying to encourage other people. So, Mm. you know, I have to pause and reflect and be patient with trying to discover what works for them rather than Mm. trying to impose what works for me. The, 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 The latter is easy. The former is much harder. It's much harder to find out what works for someone else Particularly if your role as a leader is to help them find out what works for themselves, for them, yeah. which is probably a better way to put it, rather than you know, I'm going to tell you what works for you, <laughs> rather than saying, okay, look, together we need to understand how you can um get the best out of yourself. Mm. Um, and I'm not a massive fan of be the best version of you talk um it's all a bit shiny um <laughs> you know actually if you get some basics right then other things around you can can fall into play a little bit so being patient with people um listening you know listening listening to people really helps validating people really helps mm. So so many people in this world have low or no self worth. Mm. You know they're on the floor half the time. They wonder why they can't build healthy relationships. They don't value them. They don't value themselves. Well, and they don't value themselves. They actually don't know how to. They don't know how to find their place in the world that makes them feel, you know, valued and worth it. And so you can help. You can also help them with that too. You know, it doesn't mean you have to fluff them about all the time, but you can certainly validate things that they say to you. I, I try this with my children, you know, and, and I'm not the best um, all the time. A good example is, um, you, you know, your child falls over um, and they say they've hurt themselves. My temptation would have been to, to say to them, come on up you get you know, brush that off, up you get, let's crack on, Mm -hmm. come on, you know. And actually now, before I do that, before I do those things, I'll pause with them and I'll just allow them time to settle into that, the emotion that they're feeling at that moment. Mm -hmm. And then I'll validate that, that emotion that they're expressing through their tears or their pain. I'll say that, that looks like it must have really hurt. Mm-hmm. I'll give them a few moments. And just invalidating how they're feeling in, in that very moment and pausing and not trying to fill that space with, with words, but to yeah. let them do it, we can then move on to the next little bit, which often sees them getting up, brushing themselves down and getting on again, without my needing to impose a kind of sense of urgency around that. And at the same time, I've validated how they feel and collectively we've moved on. So, yeah. you know, in a leadership point of view, you know, sometimes yeah, I, you know, it's important to do that too. I need to hear you, I then need to understand, I then need to validate your feelings, your thoughts, what you're telling me, and then I need to act in a you know responsible way around
1: that lovely thank well, that's, you that's, i feel like that's 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 gold that's gold dust martin i agree um, thank you just to kind of um finish up this chat um you've spoken a lot th- a lot through this about the about doing things right and how that's important and you just talked about. Uh, you know kind of getting the basics right as a leader Uh, uh you come across as very grounded secure in your approach um do you have a set of values what are the values that you have that kind of underpin the way that you are
0: do i have a value um well i hope so um, my, that wasn't
1: quite my question. <laughs> I asked you if you had a set of values, not whether. <laughs> I'm sure. I get it. Uh, yeah, I,
0: I, I do. You know, I, I definitely do. You know, And for me personally, um, those are, uh, are values that are, uh, I guess, based in in gospel. And you know, I, I I'm 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 a follower of Jesus, and so you know, I learn a lot. Um, from what I read in the Bible um, and people I spend time with and time at at church and some of that underpins you know the the way i certainly the way I behave the way I act around other people um, you know that that underpins the way I want to live in the world and the contribution that I feel I can make to the world Um, so there's you know there's a a clear set of values there. Um yeah, that I I I definitely find helpful in giving me wisdom to to do my day to day. Um but at the same time you know challenges me sometimes too, you know, challenges me to think carefully about about what I do, stop and think. Um, yeah, and, and and that that's pretty fundamental actually to to day to day.
1: Well, thank you, thank you so much. And probably about fifty six p. Yeah. Is,
0: that what, is that about right, Ed? Fifty six p. Maybe a pound. <laughs> Go up to ninety nine p. Look,
1: stick a flake in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think's really important is is when you have conversation like this, you know you make, you build you build really powerful social connection, and a part of that is also mm-hmm. to have fun. you know like yeah. I respect the people I spend time yeah. with, I value spending time with other human beings, you know um I try and make those interactions enjoyable for both of us. You know this conversation yeah. should be fun for you, it should be fun for me, it should be fun yeah. for people listening. Like, and if we all did a tiny bit of that, you know, our world would be, it would be such a a healthy place to to live in. So, Mm. you know, I hope that, you know, through running for me, that just happens to be that one thing that's been absolutely epic. Um, Just to finish, Mm. I've got this amazing photo as we've been talking through from my wife um I told you she was oh, yeah. in Riga in Latvia and she's just sent me a fantastic mm. picture of her smiling her head off with a Kenyan lady called Sally Barsocio and Sally Barsocio mm. used to be this amazing marathon runner just google her if you're not sure and um they yeah. Sally remembered racing against my wife Liz and they've met again uh, probably oh, wow. 20, 15, 20 years later at the World Championships. So it's lovely to brilliant. get that little picture of constant connection and companionship that the running has brought.
2: That's brilliant. Martin, honestly, thank you. This, for me, this has been, for both of us, I know it's been fun. It has been joyful. Your humanity, your humour, I can't think of a third thing beginning with H. Um, <laughs> there's something... But honestly, it's shone through, and your values have shone through, and um, there's much Good. wisdom and encouragement, I think, for people listening to this. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, is all I want
1: to say. You're both welcome. What's, Thanks what's for coming me. next for you? What's coming next for you, Martin? What's, what's looking after what's, the kids? Um, it's all a bit, yeah. it's all a bit, <laughs> it's all a bit mad. Um, and where can people go to a, find out more about Stormbreak and, and, and that kind of thing if they're interested? Still
0: doing a bit of marathon talk with uh, Abbott. Um, world marathon majors mm. Stormbreak is at stormbreak.org.uk um, still doing a little bit of coaching probably best at yellingperformance.com for that um, mm. yeah mostly like yeah, have a bit of fun enjoy yourself we're not here for long
1: no awesome <laughs> thank you this has been very fun um, I echo Gary's comments so yeah thank you so much for your time and uh, the vigour that you've brought to it
0: you're welcome chaps
1: Gary, I really loved how secure Martin is in himself. Throughout the whole episode, he just came through with an immense sense of um, just being easy in his skin, knowing mm. what he stands for, what he believes in. He came across very genuinely and, and um, with a great sense of humanity as well.
2: He does, doesn't he? He's absolutely at home in himself. Um, I think that that is partly what allows him to have so much fun. I think is is not that he sort of doesn't care about the consequences, but I think he's got a deep belief that it's all going to be it's all going to be okay, mm. um, and he really trusts himself and he trusts in that. And he is brilliant fun. Um, I just wanted to—I didn't get a chance to say it to Martin, but when he was talking about what Stormbreak does, I, I think I had a moment of realizing that movement for me has been like a constant companion in my life, and it's been probably the way that I've managed to regulate my emotions and my sort of inner response to what the world throws at me, if you like. So well, what a brilliant charity. I think it's gonna help a lot of people.
1: Already it's helping um hundreds mm. of thousands of store breaks, as yeah. said. So yeah.
2: Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And the other thing that stood out for me was his um openness in in talking about engaging and uh, working with emotions, I think we are sort of schooled to separate those and downgrade our emotions and privilege the sort of intellect and the mind a bit. It goes back probably centuries, but Martin had an enormous amount of success in his life, worldly success, if you like, and, 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 and he does work very overtly with his emotions and, and others. Um, and I think that links to what we want to offer people this week in terms of what we think people can go do and take from the episode into their life mm. this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was struck by what he said about... well, that example he gave with his kids, you know, and, mm. and, and how he is or how he's trying to be, let's say, when they fall over and hurt themselves. And, you know, if you've got kids, certainly I am with my kids, I tend to be just kind of that, this like, false sense of, oh, no, come on, get get up. Like, just like Martin said, you know, that false oh. sense of just kind of rushing back to normality. Um, and, you know, that sort of challenge that he gave to say, well, actually, no, you know, I'm trying to... Um, be with them and allow them to just lean into that emotion or, you know, in that case, the sort of pain that they might be feeling. Um, uh, allow them to be validated in that and then um, usually what that leads to is them getting up themselves and dusting them off and getting back on track um, without mm-hmm. kind of being chivied to, as uh, uh, perhaps is the right word. Yeah. So I think this week we'd like to kind of just uh, challenge you listeners to say, to think about how we can help people feel more listened to more heard and more validated uh allowing people kind of the moment to respond in the way that feels right for them doing it with patience uh holding that space rather than rushing on or you know maybe yeah you know, if anything likes me it can be a kind of like fear of awkwardness potentially and um, just allowing a little bit of space and awkwardness, of, if necessary, um, in favor of them, of allowing people to feel um, that emotion, listen to people and then validate them as well mm. um, to help them get back on their feet and dust themselves off, as it were.
2: Ed, I love that. That's that so that's the challenge for people, that thing that Martin walked us through and then Ed has just framed up beautifully there. Search out there this week. Maybe take a moment now to pause um, and think about someone in your life who you can be patient with, you can hold that space, really listen to them. We talked about listening and hearing, really hear them, and then take a moment to validate them because there probably isn't um, as a, as much space as the world needs for people to feel really held on to and listened to and uh, built up in that way. Mm. Fabulous thanks a lot
1: thank you Gary Uh, loved it yet again and we would love to hear what you guys thought of it Um, drop us a line on social media uh, run underscore alive on Instagram or the run Alive podcast on LinkedIn or um, our website runalive.co.uk we would love to hear from you Um, and looking forward to next week